Welcome to the podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd also like to invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8.30 or 10.45, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. One of my favorite parts of Senior Sunday is always the opportunity to get to work with some of our seniors on preaching the sermon. Now, you would think if you asked the senior class who wants to preach, like they would all be jumping up and down and all the hands... Not exactly. Usually it involves a little begging and bribery, but not this year. This year we were really blessed to have a very special senior, Allison Martin, who immediately said, of course, I will be glad to preach. She may be regretting that now, but she's here. And uh, she showed up anyway. We pulled her out of quarantine to come and not even that could stop her. And so I am so proud of this young woman and I know she's gonna bring today a fabulous message. And so I just ask that you give her your full attention and listen to the words that God has put on her heart. Thanks, Allison. Hey everyone, like Leslie said, I'm Allison Martin. Today, we're going to talk about the monsters that we have in our lives. The scripture reading is from Romans 8, 5. Those who are dominated by sinful natures think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. The definition of a monster is an imaginary creature that is typically large, ugly, and frightening or can be described as anything that is not good for us. God doesn't talk about monsters in the Bible, but he does talk about demons and the devil, which in my eyes is a type of monster. A monster doesn't have to be something that you can see, but it's anything that in your mind that scares you, frightens you, or makes you feel uncomfortable. God talks about how sinful nature can cause us to think about sinful things. Everyone has some sort of monster or sin in their life. Some examples of monsters in our lives are drugs, religion, school, work, friends, sometimes even our significant others, and millions more. Sometimes we think we are doing the right thing, And we even feel like we are not in the wrong for doing it. We use the Bible and other people's lives to try and justify why we are doing what we are doing. We lie to ourselves and say, if they are doing it because of who they are, then it must be okay for me to do it too. But that's not always the case. We have to remember that everyone has their own problems in life, stuff that they struggle with. The only person's example that we should be following is Christ. Sometimes our monsters come from people we have in our life. Every now and then our monsters come from things that we have been through or that we have seen. I know from experience that once we allow these monsters into our life, there is nothing humanly possible that can stop them. They are there every time you think your life is going good or when you're trying to make any kind of hard decision. They are there when you're alone in your car or in your bedroom. 
They are even there when you are surrounded by hundreds of people in a crowded room. People forget about these monsters and about how persuasive that they can be. To some in this room, monsters are something that live under their bed and only come out at night. We discover very early on in life that monsters may be lurking, but that they should never scare us. Unfortunately, at times, we are still scared of them. As we grow older, we become less scared of the monsters under our bed because we learn that they are just imaginary. What we may never realize is that there are monsters and they can be very real. They should get our attention, but should never scare us. That's where God comes in. With God in our heart, we should never be scared or nervous about anything. The human part of us gets scared, nervous, and even anxious, but God tells us not to worry about anything. The past is the past, and God holds the key to our future. I could preach a hundred different sermons on the type of monsters that live in our lives, but since I only have one Sunday, I want to focus on the monster known as guilt. This is the monster that I have fought for many years, and one I know I will continue to fight until the day that I die. It comes from feeling like my brother's death was my fault. For y'all that don't know, when I was six years old, my brother died. On August 3rd, 2008, at the age of 18 months, he went to be with the Lord after drowning in a swimming pool. He was my real life baby doll, and I was his little mother. While mom went to fix our plates for supper, I was asked to watch him. But me being the kid I was, thought that nothing would ever happen to him. I turned my back and left here playing with the dogs at the doorstep. I followed my mom inside, and the next thing we knew, he was nowhere to be found. The search began, and for the first time in my life, I saw how quickly a situation can change. In the blink of an eye, I went from a kid that lived in what I thought was a normal family that became one of the kids that you read, one of the statistics that you read about. I went from a happy-go-lucky life to feeling like I had to pick up the pieces for my mom and my family. I had to be the rock and the mother figure for my other brother. If I could not cook it in the microwave or pull it out of a cabinet, he didn't need it. I made sure that we had baths and clean clothes. I made sure my brother was safe as we walked past the pond between our house and Honey and Pops's. I had to step up and say goodbye to my baby brother and my best friend and assume the role that no six-year-old should have to assume. I have blamed myself for not getting to watch him achieve all the milestones we thought we would get to see. The guilt that overtook me at that exact moment has almost killed me emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. The definition of guilt is a feeling of having done something wrong or failed in an obligation. We have all felt this at least once in our life. To some, this word may mean nothing, but to others, they know this word all too well and deal with it every day. In Hebrews 4.16, it tells us, let us come boldly through 
to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. God tells us very clearly in the Bible that we should not hold on to guilt because it is not of God but of the devil himself. If God can forgive us since he was the only perfect man to walk the earth, then we should be able to forgive ourselves. In order for God to take control of the guilt, we have to take the guilt to him. We have to lay it at his feet and say, God, I know without your help, I will never completely get over this. This reminded me of a story I heard one time about a man that was riding down the road on a donkey, carrying a 200-pound sack of wheat on his shoulders. A passerby asked, why don't you take the weight off your shoulders and put it on the donkey? You don't think the man responded that I'd ask the donkey to carry all the weight, do you? But the truth is, the donkey is carrying the weight. Many a times we hold on to our guilt and won't let it go. Kind of like that man. We think that it's not fair for anyone else to have to help us because we made mistakes, not them. We are even this way with God most of the time. The reality is that when we hold on to guilt, it does hurt the people around us because we bleed on people who did not cut us. Anyone who truly loves you and cares about you would give anything to help you work through that guilt and make sure that you get better. But the most important person that will help you is God, and he would give anything to take that from you. The truth is, that's the devil trying to bring you down and take your focus off of God. But we have to remember that God's already taken care of it. The hardest part is giving it to him and allowing him to work. Many a times we give it to God, but we still think that we need to micromanage it. We are are real human beings, and without God, we will never truly be free from guilt. It is there to help us to help remind us the right from the wrong, but it isn't supposed to stay around or even bring us down. But like we heard earlier, people respond to guilt in many different ways. Take Peter and Judas, for example. Both were disciples that Jesus trusted. Judas betrayed him by telling the Jewish religious leaders where Jesus was, which led to him being captured. Then when Jesus was on trial, Peter denied knowing him three times. Both men felt very bad for what they had done after seeing what Jesus had to go through on the cross. Judas, covered in guilt, took his own life by hanging himself. Peter, also covered in guilt, went to God with his guilt and laid at his feet and became one of the main disciples that helped spread the good news about Christ. Our reaction to guilt may not be as big as Peter's or Judas's. But our response can either drive us farther from God or bring us closer to Him. The Bible makes it very clear that God wants us to come closer to Him in times of need. He only asks that we tell Him our needs and that we trust Him with all of our problems. His dream for us is that we can live a precious, free, and forgiven life. I've had a hard time forgiving myself for what I thought was my fault. I know deep down inside that when it was my baby brother's time to go, it was his time to go. It would not have mattered where we were or what we were doing 
because it was all part of God's greater plan. The monsters inside me remind me of his death daily. Every time I start to think I get, I'm getting to a place where I can forgive myself, the monsters appear again. My monsters don't come at two in the morning when I can't sleep like you would think. They came at 12 noon when I was at school, listening to my favorite song and talking to my classmates, or even at 7 p.m. when I'm at Walmart getting groceries for my family. They come when I'm at work at the little daycare that my brothers went to, and I get a glimpse of what James White would be doing in each of those classrooms. They come at the times that I least expect it. These are the times that I have to pray for God to intervene and help me to forgive myself. I know forgiveness is the key to defeating this monster. Forgiveness and prayer go hand in hand. You can't truly forgive or be forgiven without God's help. The word forgiveness is a noun that can be defined as an action or process of forgiving or being forgiven. The word forgive is a verb which shows action. The Greek word for forgiveness literally means to let go. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Matthew six fourteen and 15 says, For if you forgive other people when they have sinned against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people of their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive you of your sins. Let's break down these two verses and talk about the real meaning of what God's trying to convey. God is telling his people about how important it is to forgive one another. We must forgive those who have done wrong to us, as well as forgiving ourselves for allowing the monsters to lead us down a dark path as they engulfed our minds, bodies, and spirits. These verses aren't hard verses to read. They don't have big words. However, they are very hard verses to apply in our own life. These verses aren't telling us to say forgiving words, but to truly forgive others as well as ourselves with our hearts. Once I was reading an article talking about a woman who before becoming was a, a Christian was a little wild. When she became a Christian, she started going to church. Soon after joining the church, she became very active with the children's ministry. About six months after she settled down, she fell in love with the pastor's son. Soon they fell into a deep love and decided that they were wanting to be life partners. So they decided to get married. When they announced they were getting married, very few people supported them, not even the preacher. They were saying that she didn't deserve a good guy like Kim, one that has a good head on his shoulders because of her past. The church decided to have a meeting to discuss the matter before them. The couple attended the meeting, nervous about what would be said. During the meeting, the congregation went on and on and on for hours, 
about how and why they should not be together. Finally, the son and soon-to-be groom stood up and said, Her past is not what's on trial here today, but rather the blood of Christ. If the blood of Christ is not strong enough to wash away her sins and give her a new start, then it isn't strong enough to wash away yours either. We need to forgive for what the past holds. God tells us that he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west and that we should do the same. We have all made mistakes. No one but Jesus that has ever walked this earth is, was, or will be perfect. If someone hurts you or the monsters inside your head become too loud, you cannot hold that inside because it only hurts you. To worry about what others did or said that hurt your feelings only eats on your side insides. I promise they aren't losing sleep over it. They don't care if you forgive them or not. God forgives us not because we deserve forgiveness, but because he understands that we fall short of his glory every day. Forgiveness isn't something that has to do with anyone but yourself. Forgiving someone releases your hearts from the chains, not theirs. Forgiveness is a subject that is not talked about much, but it sure is one of the most important ones. The first step to understanding forgiveness is learning what it is and what it isn't. Forgiveness is the divine attribute someone poses. We also have to remember just because we forgive someone does not mean we have to let them back into our lives. It is okay to set boundaries with people who have hurt you and allow them to earn your trust back by showing you that they have changed. It's important to remember that letting go of someone or something is hard at first, but in the long run, it will be what's best. Forgiveness may not happen overnight, and it takes time, but it will be well worth it in the end. You have to commit to pray and not give up. Forgiveness can lead you down a path of healing and peace that only comes from God. Matthew 5.44 tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Maya Angelou, a famous contemporary poet, once said, The greatest gift that you can give yourself is to forgive everyone. It can be as little as someone not returning your pencil to as big as a drunk driver hitting you and you becoming wheelchair-bound for the rest of your life, or even your baby brother leaving this earth all too soon because you followed your mom into the kitchen. Forgiveness does not change the past, but it does change the future. Forgiving someone who has hurt you over and over, or even forgiving yourself, can be hard at times. But if we pray and ask God for help, To forgive in the situation at hand, God will give us the strength. The ultimate forgiveness was when Jesus was on the cross and said to the two thieves hanging on either side of him, Today I will be with you two in heaven. And then said to God, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they have done. We are all familiar with the story of the prodigal son. You know, the story of the father who had two sons, one who stayed and was loyal, the other who asked for his inheritance and went out and wasted it. When he returned because he was out of money, 
the father ran and greeted him, throwing a big party for him. This hurt the loyal oldest son's feelings. Why was his father praising the son that betrayed him? Then the father reminds his oldest son that they are not celebrating what the youngest son did, but that he was lost and now he is found. If we think about the true meaning of the story, we should really call it the forgiving father. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It still amazes me about how positive the father was. There's a part of me, and I'm sure a part of you, that, find, that longs to find that positivity in our lives. As long as we allow the Holy Spirit to control every aspect of our lives, we'll be living a life that is pleasing to him. We will all face monsters in our lives. Yours may not be guilt, but something else. We are not powerless against them, though, because we have a loving and forgiving God who we can trust with even our darkest secrets. And this same God gave us each other. There's a great monster-slaying power found in the love and support of our faith community. On behalf of the senior class, I would like to thank you for being that community for us. You will never truly know the difference it has made. Let us pray. Dear God, we come to you today and we thank you for this faith community that you have given all of us seniors. Lord, I pray for every single senior, no matter what they're going to school for, no matter what they're doing after they leave that building, that you give them a peace that passes no understanding about where you're sending their life. Lord, I pray for all of us as we get ready to walk across that stage and get our diploma, Lord, that as we're sad that one chapter is closing, Lord, that we're thankful that you're opening another chapter. Lord, I thank you for the faith community that you've given all of us seniors. Lord, I thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, thank you for all you have helped us through in the last 12 years of school, Lord, and I know that you will never stop helping us. Lord, just thank you for being the amazing God that you are. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.